1: In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
0: Ahoy there, everybody. It's your old pal, Josh. And for this week's SYSK Selects, I have chosen our episode on disembodied feet Yes, with the great title, Why Are So Many Disembodied Feet Washing Ashore in British Columbia? We released it back in June of 2016, and it's a cozy little mystery about feet washing ashore. And we don't know why still to this day. I hope you enjoy it. It's a really good episode.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Hey and welcome to the podcast, I'm Josh Clark, there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, there's Jerry over there, and they're six feet in this studio right now, and all of them are exactly where they're supposed to be. Attached to their lower legs. Yeah. Below the calf. Yeah. Yep. Above the, the floor. Facing forward. Do you, right. Yeah. yeah, that's a big one too. Key. Because if it's facing backwards, you got problems. No, or you're just going the wrong way all day long. Maybe so. (laughs) Do you know where they're not supposed to be, Chuck?
1: Feet? Yes. Uh, Well, they're not supposed to be on the armrest of the seat in front of you on an airplane. Yes. Or a movie theater. Yes. But I know you're not talking about common courtesies that bug
0: me. No. No. But I agree with you wholeheartedly. That is so wrong. Yeah. And um, I meant to tell you, I'm on... I've come over to your side about taking shoes off on the plane. Oh, good. It's okay if I do it. Okay. But um, I, you, me, and I were flying somewhere, and this dude behind us had nasty, stinky feet. Oh. And he had his shoes off. And like we are facing forward, <sighs> and we could smell his feet below our seats behind us. Just and I kept turning around, giving him the dirtiest looks, and he was like, he had no idea what I was doing.
1: Did you look at his feet and then at his yes, face?
0: <laughs> and he still didn't get it. Did you look at his feet, his face, and then clamp your nose? <laughs> right. with I your did fingers? that. Still didn't work. I threw up a little bit onto him. Uh huh. He he just thought didn't I was air sick, yeah.
1: Yeah. I know people disagree with me. People wrote in and were like,
0: uh, what's it to you? I well,
1: thought it was to eat your own to eat your own chuck.
0: Right yeah.
1: And you know, don't yuck fine. my yum. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a yum yucker.
0: All right, so I'll tell you a place where feet aren't supposed to be. They're not supposed to be off on their own, on a beach somewhere,
1: not attached to a
0: body. Exactly. Well, they're not,
1: no, that's not something that you see every day.
0: No, unless you're in Vancouver, and then it happens uh, like almost every day. It seems like not quite, but sure. There's something very weird going on in Vancouver. You say there's no mystery. I say there's still a bit of a mystery to it. But we'll we'll let's we'll start at the beginning, okay? Okay. August 20th, 2007, it's kind of a cool and drizzly day at a place called Jedediah Island Provincial Park up in British Columbia right near Vancouver. Yeah. Right? Lovely area. Sure. Of course. Beautiful. that's why you would want to say, like, go park or camp at this park Mm -hmm. with your family, which is what a 12-year-old girl was doing. I couldn't find this girl's name to save my life, probably because she's twelve. Yeah, she well, it was,
1: wouldn't be good to say it anyway.
0: She was sure. <laughs> she was walking along the beach with her dad, and um, there was a, a bunch of, like, flotsam, you know, that's the term for stuff that washes up from the sea, that the sea spits up onto the shores. And um, she saw a shoe, and she picked it up, and I, she untied it and turned it upside down, and out fell a sock. And inside the sock was a human foot. Yep. <laughs> and she was pretty
1: surprised. Size 12. Yeah. Uh, it was a campus brand shoe, which uh, ended up being not neither here nor there, but uh, it is manufactured in India, mostly mm-hmm. sold in India. Right. Um, and we'll just park that right there for now.
0: Yeah. So the family's like, this is unusual. Sure. Uh, they borrowed a radio from somebody else, and they alerted the authorities. And in very short order, the Mounties showed up, the oh, coroner yeah. showed up, the Coast Guard showed up.
1: I bet the Mounties were all over that foot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they said, you know what? We'll, we're going to take that foot, is if that's okay, little girl. And she, through her sobbing tears, said, sure. <laughs> but just give me a little
0: <laughs> money, okay?
1: Uh, and they said, we're going to send it off for DNA examination. And um, that did that return nothing? The DNA? As far as I know, yeah. There okay. was no
0: there was no match. So that wasn't like a, a, a clue? The DNA? Yeah. No, but it was the first thing they tried. Sure. The DNA, they also looked at it to see what was going on with the foot, if, it, if there was any kind of signs of what the deal was.
1: Yeah, they held it up to their ear and pretended like it was a telephone. <laughs> and one of the other Mounties said, that's not funny. Eh? Yeah,
0: but they were like, oh, it is kind of funny. <laughs> and they said, sorry. <laughs> so, um, they didn't they just kind of filed it away. It actually didn't make much of a stir outside of the area. Nah, It was worth talking about. It got a little bit of ink because it was just so weird. But yeah. they put the foot away and, at the coroner's office and everybody went about their lives, right? I would assume so. And then six days later, another foot showed up in the area. Not the same place, but yeah. in, the same, in the same general area. Another right foot. Which means it wasn't the the person's other foot. No, that'd be weird. So there's two people missing feet now. Yes. This is a men's Reebok, size 11, I think. And the people who found it said that when they saw it, they immediately knew that there was a foot in there because it looked full. It looked footy? How they, is how they put it. Full of foot? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they picked it up and smelled it, and they're like, yeah, it's a foot.
1: That's right. And uh, the Mounties came in again, and they got off their horses, and uh, Corporal Gary Cox said... You know, it is a little weird to find two feet. Yeah. With, um,
0: especially within six days of one another.
1: Yeah, in the same area. It was um he described it as a million to one odds. I don't think he did the science on no, that. I don't either. But uh it's just something you say. Right. But he said two is pretty crazy. Yeah. And I agree with him.
0: Yeah. So uh, the first foot was in, uh, on Jedediah Island. The second one's on Gabriola Island, which is—I couldn't find exactly how far away it was across the water, but it's it's not that far. Right. They're close, but they're separated by some water. Um, and now all of a sudden, there's two feet that were found within six days. The media starts to catch drift of this one.
1: Yeah. Right? There's feet—shoed uh, feet washing up on the shores in Vancouver.
0: Right. And at the time, at that very time, um, Robert Pickton was on trial in Vancouver for um, murdering as many as 49 women. He, you've heard of him, right? I think so, yeah. He was the notorious pig farmer who would like butcher oh, women and yes. feed them to his pigs, and then butcher his pigs and feed pigs to his guests.
1: Yeah, one of the only, probably, uh, Canadian serial killers, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And one of the worst of all serial killers. He yeah. was a horrible, horrible person. because. He wasn't crazy. You know what I mean? He right. was just a, just a horrible person. Yeah. Um, and so he's on trial at that time. Got, I think, 25 years, which is like the maximum sentence you can get in, in Canada. What? Come on, Canada. Yeah. 20, 25 years for, for up to 49 horrible murders. Yeah. Um, so he was on trial. There were also a lot of like really high profile missing people in the area, too that it just vanished without a trace in the four years leading up to that. Yeah, and you point out, because you wrote this, correct? I I did, but actually I was pointing out that Christopher Solomon pointed something out.
1: Okay, well, the point is, uh, and this is a little strange, but maybe not. I don't know. I was trying to make sense of it. British Columbia apparently just has a higher than normal rate of missing persons than uh, other parts of the world. Yeah,
0: which is weird. Yeah. But I mean like a lot more.
1: Yeah, more than 2,400 people over a 59-year period. Mm -hmm. And uh, Solomon compared that to Kentucky, which is about the same size and population. Right. Or same size population. Uh, They only had 515 people missing over that 59 years. That seemed really low to me. Did it? Eight people a year missing in the whole state? Like, that remained missing. Okay, unsolved forever? Yes. Oh, because in Kentucky they'll just be like, he was Uncle Billy's. (laughs) Right <laughs> down the road for a week. Right, exactly. Okay.
0: So, you, like, the, the, the idea is that B.C. has almost five times the number of... Unsolved. ...missing persons cases yeah. over this 59 period compared to Kentucky, which has about the same size population. That's a lot more. Yeah, and, I mean, Solomon might have gone in and selected, like, oh, Kentucky's got the lowest of the same size population, so that'll really point it out. But it does seem that B.C. has a, a, a large amount of missing persons. Now,
1: uh... I bet it has something to do with the terrain and the wildlife.
0: Probably the abundance of water.
1: Probably that too.
0: It's not a good good thing. It's Dry, not good a lot to of have
1: water. A lot of heroin. Yeah. You know. Sadly. Yeah, and that, probably go missing. You know, on in, a drug bender.
0: In, ad, in addition to the um, serial killer theory, one of them was that these were like people who would either run afoul of the local organized crime syndicates. Yeah. Or. Um, ran afoul of like a fellow heroin yeah. addict who uh, unorganized you know, crime Exactly, disorganized yeah remember that movie what movie disorganized crime was that a movie mm-hmm. with uh who's the the dude the blonde dude from L A Law Corbin Burnson yes wow it's actually a good movie really. Was, I haven't seen Mark it Harman in a in couple it? of decades. <laughs> hey, Summer School is one of the all-time greats, man. <laughs> it sounds
1: like that kind of movie, Disorganized Crime, like yeah, right yeah, they're a I bunch was, of bumbling uh, criminals.
0: Definitely is. But I think, like, Egg, or, or Fred Gwynn was in it, Herman Munster. Oh, yeah. One of his last roles.
1: Wow. Uh, <laughs> all right, so you talked about theories. One of the other theories, remember uh, we mentioned India uh, manufactured that first shoe. Some people said, you know what, this is sadly just... Uh, feet of tsunami survivors from the Indian Ocean uh, disaster December 26, 2004. Mm -hmm. And they, just years later, these, like, body parts are washing up on shore.
0: Yeah. Which is sort of plausible. It is. I mean, 250,000 people died from that tsunami. A lot, if not most of them, were never found.
1: Yeah. Also, uh, we had people point out, remember when we said that modern disaster flicks are bad? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a bunch of people write in and say the impossible uh, was a great movie.
0: That's the one about, about the tsunami? tsunami.
1: Yeah, and it was great. It was awesome. But I just think that's different because that was a, uh, a factual. Uh, it's about a factual event.
0: But and you think, categorize it as a disaster. Flick? No,
1: see, I don't categorize it as that because it was a real thing that happened. Like disaster flicks to me are when you when you invent some crazy
0: disaster. Well, okay. Well, let me ask you this: If it were totally fictionalized, but the exact same movie. Would you then consider it as a disaster flick? Yes. Okay, so it's like on that scale and everything too. I had the impression it was much more just like a human interest.
1: Well, it became that, but they showed film the tsunami like that was nuts, amazing how uh, realistic it is. I will check it out then. Very, very tough movie. Okay, very hard to watch.
0: Have you seen Twelve Years a Slave yet?
1: Still cannot. Bring myself to watch that.
0: It's pretty rough.
1: It's just staring at me on my DVR every (laughs) night. uh, It'll be soon. I'll let you know. Okay. I'll just come into work crying. (laughs) Okay.
0: I'll be Uh, like, what did I do now?
1: (laughs) All right. So the uh, tsunami disaster, they said, um, might have been one of the reasons, but um, I think other people said, you know, maybe that's not the best explanation.
0: Right. Other people said, well, a lot of people just go missing from other things, like planes go down in the Salish Sea. Which is the body of water between, I think, Vancouver Island and mainland British Columbia. Yeah, I think which it's Which is where Salish. most of these were found. <laughs> is it Salish? I think so, but we'll hear from Canadians one way or the other. You say Salish, I say Salish. <laughs> Who's right, really, you know? All
1: right, well, let's. Uh, we're getting all excited here with these theories, but um, there were more feet to come, and we'll get back to those feet right after this.
0: So, Chuck, the, when those first two feet were found within six days, it made the rounds, people talked about it, and then it just kind of drifted out of the news, right?
1: Like a foot in the ocean.
0: Exactly. <laughs> um, and then a third foot was found, and it came roaring back because this was yet another foot, a totally different one. This was a woman's foot, actually, mm-hmm. a New Balance, size 7, I think.
1: Yeah. And uh, Kirkland Island, same yeah. general area, Right. Right. Uh, the same 40-mile stretch uh, along that coastal area. And this is within 10 months now, five feet, four people.
0: Yeah, so um, the the other New Balance sneaker was found. That was the fifth foot found. And then in between the—
1: Yeah, they matched the foot to the, the, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad, but they found the guy's other foot.
0: Right, the, the woman. That was the woman that they found. Oh, first they found her two feet?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: So her feet were number three and number five to turn up. Gotcha. And then in between, an, an entirely different person's foot turned up. Uh, men's like size 11 Nike, I think. Wow. So yeah, within, within a 10-month period, there were five feet belonging to four different people that turned up on this little stretch. That's right. That's significant.
1: Then there was a six foot. hmm The next uh, August... Uh, this was in, actually, in Washington, so I guess it had its uh, papers in order and made its way to the states. And so, like you said, if you're following the story at home as it's going on, you're starting to think, like, if I go to the beach, I'm going to see a foot today.
0: And a lot of people did do that. Yeah. A lot of people around British Columbia started looking for disembodied feet, they were turning up so frequently. And I misspoke, you were right. So the seventh foot to turn up was the woman's other foot. That's hard to keep track.
1: It really is. With all these disembodied feet. (laughs) So how many feet in total, sir? I think the last two were found February of this year.
0: Yeah, and they actually belong to the same person, but they were found a a week or two or so apart. Yeah,
1: and Um, I say last, I mean most recent. I'm sure more feet will come.
0: It seems that way because between—so the first foot was found in August 2007. These most recent feet were found in February 2016. That total 17 disembodied feet found within a 150-mile stretch between Tacoma, Washington, and British Columbia. Wow. That's unusual. It seems like it. And there's a lot of theories, but no one can say definitively, here's what's going on.
1: Right. Uh, and I know we're making a lot of jokes. I realize these feet belong to people who are no longer with us. Yeah. Just want to throw that out there. Sure. But we do a lot of comedy on this show. So
0: We did a coma episode that had jokes. I mean, come on. Okay, good. Just
1: wanted to see a way there. Uh, so from the beginning, the cops and the Mounties uh, were basically like, I don't, you know, this seems really fishy, uh, <laughs> but it's not, we don't think it's murder. Yeah. We don't think there's someone out there killing people and chopping their feet off. Right.
0: Which is what a lot of people thought. Yeah, but and, and notably, do, I think
1: because their feet weren't cut off, and you can tell.
0: Right, they were. Um, they they said that they were naturally disarticulated. Right, that's right. Um, so that first foot that that girl found on Jedidiah Island was identified pretty quickly because the cops released a picture of the shoe to the media. Yeah, and remember, it was a campus brand, which is made in India, sure. sold mostly in India. And so the guy whose foot it was. Uh, his family saw it on the news yeah. and it identified him as somebody who uh, he was a longtime sufferer of depression and he was in a depressed state when his family last saw him. So the cops came to the logical conclusion that he had killed himself. Right. So foot number one has been matched to a missing person, case closed, right? That's right. Uh,
1: so then the New Balance shoes uh, turned up on separate islands. Uh, this is the woman and she was identified as... Uh, a lady who also was suffering uh, from depression and jumped off a bridge. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they they knew this for sure.
0: Yeah, that's that's where the woman was last seen, was jumping off a bridge.
1: Yeah, and this had been four years previous. Mm -hmm. So now they're starting to get a pattern here where, all right, uh, there was another man, uh, too, the one uh, on Valdez Island, Mm -hmm. uh, feet three and five, uh, they determined was either suicide or accident. And then another couple of people who were accidentally uh, killed. And so they see this pattern now of, all right, these are people that just happened to die or died by their own hand um, near enough to the water where their feet were there. Yes. I'm just being vague for now.
0: Right. Yeah. But the weird thing is, is now all of a sudden in a very short period of time, relatively short period of time. Um, I mean, because one of these guys whose feet turned up was last seen after his boat turned over in 1987. Yeah. So in a very short period of time, all these people who died at very different periods of time, suddenly their feet were starting to turn up in this area around the Salish Salish Sea. Yes. Um, And the cops had, a, a, I guess, kind of a pretty good idea from the outset, but to understand what was going on, or at least what the cops say was going on, you have to understand what happens to a, um, a person who dies in the water. Yes. You think that people float, you know?
1: Yeah, you kind of think that because in movies that, you know, if you're trying to get rid of a body in the water, you always, you know, tie cement blocks to a cement shoes is right. the old
0: joke. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, some, somebody turned up like that in New York recently. Like with cement shoes? Yeah. Wow. Somebody saw too many movies. Uh, But the idea is that you
1: have to weight the body down. And I suppose if you were going to get rid of a body, I'd I'd probably do the same thing just out of, you know, just covering my bases. Just to be sure, right? Yeah.
0: Well, the thing is, is if you do use cement shoes on a person, which you should never do that. no. But if you did, um, what you're doing is you're not ensuring that they sink right then. You're ensuring that they don't come back up. Yeah. Because that's what happens. That's right. A body that it has gone unconscious or has drowned and died um, sinks pretty quickly. Yeah. And it, it usually sinks so quick that if you are looking for a drowning victim, you you should look on the bottom yeah. pretty close to where they were last seen on the surface. Yeah. They sink that fast. Man. So a body sinks um, and... It'll sink faster in fresh water than salt water because salt water makes humans a little more buoyant. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess overweight people, people with a lot of fat on their bodies, yeah. sink uh, more slowly than people who are leaner. Yeah. Um, and then, depending on the water temperature as well um, and how deep the water is, they'll sink faster and faster as they get to the bottom. Yeah. And depending on what you're wearing, Yeah, like a coat or shoes or something like that.
1: That'll all weigh you down.
0: Or a backpack. It's it's definitely going to pull you down. But the point is, once you go under, once you submerge and and you're dead or you're dying, um, you're going to sink pretty quick.
1: Yeah, there's more pressure, too, the deeper you get in a body of water. Uh, You mentioned the temperature was lower, but there's also more pressure, and that compresses the air in your body, and that's going to make you less floaty as well. Right. So uh, the thing the cool air or the cool uh, temperature does down there... Is it uh, kind of preserves you for a little while longer than ordinarily because um, the bacteria that will eventually consume your body right. are just going to be slower.
0: Yeah. to do so. They just move more slowly. Yeah. right? but that bacteria is eventually going to overcome the sinking of the body. Yeah, because your body's an enclosed system generally, roughly. I mean, you got a mouth and all that. You know. Sure. But as they're eating, they're putting out as a waste product um, gases, yeah. like methane and stuff like that. Yep. Um, and your body traps that stuff, and it begins to bloat. And I'm, everyone knows that once you bloat, you float.
1: That's right. That's the forensics uh, bumper sticker.
0: Yeah, eventually you're going to rise to the top like a dirigible because of those gases that are trapped in your body. Or like like a submarine? I guess. Okay. <laughs> I guess.
1: Do you mean they keep going into the air, like a, <laughs> right, <laughs>
0: like a blimp? You float off, and then your foot will be found on the moon later.
1: Uh, yeah, you're gonna float, and that's why whenever they people discover like a dead body in a lake, uh, much later, it's you know it's not a pretty thing. They're they're bloated and and puffed out and it's, uh, decomposed. Yeah, it's not pretty.
0: But if you are um, if you are trapped, say like in a vehicle or something like that. Right. And all of this takes place. Um, eventually your your body's gonna be prevented from floating away. Sure. And it will eventually rupture. And once the rupture happens, all that gas and the um the buoyancy that's created by it is all released. And so you're staying there. You're staying there. Yeah. And I read this article about um did you read the article?
1: About the Oklahoma guy. Uh huh. Yeah, it was really weird coincidence it is, and sad.
0: It is. So, like, the guy, there was a guy um, whose brother went missing in his Camaro in, I think, like, 1970. Yeah. And he just never knew what happened to him. And he used this boat ramp on this place called Foss Lake. And he found out later, when the cops accidentally discovered the car, that his brother had been submerged in just 12 feet of water for 40 years, all those times he was back in his boat into Foss Lake. His brother was right below him.
1: Yeah. Isn't that crazy?
0: And they found him accidentally. And then they found another car that had gone missing, I think the year before, just a few feet away. And the moral of the story is that Foss Lake is really murky. Wow. I mean, 12 feet of water, two different cars. A
1: Camaro. Yeah.
0: A Camaro and I think like a Packer or something like that, or a Buick. Man.
1: Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, All right, well, let's take another little break here, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what can happen to a body underwater and uh, what's the deal with all these feet.
0: All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go, because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you.
1: That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
0: You know, true love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another. And every time after that. It's taking long walks together in the summer. or gazing longingly into each other's eyes and watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard.
1: Well, the pedigree brand asked about believing and love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. Uh, As everyone knows from listening to this show, we have pulled all of our dogs off the street that Emily and I have had over the years, either right off the street or through a local shelter and working with them. And they've all become valued family members. And we think they've appreciated it,
0: too. Yeah, Chuck, there is a pedigree loyalty survey that found that 90% of first-time dog owners report having a dog improved at least one of their relationships, and 80% of first-time dog owners are overwhelmingly more likely to have made at least one new connection as a result of getting a dog. And 95% of all dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than they ever expected. Not a big surprise.
1: That's true. We all know that adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime meaningful connection and real love can exist between a pet and a pet parent. You got that straight. Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes. Opening your home to a dog can help open your heart. And Love at First Sight is closer than you think because it's available at your local dog shelter.
0: Yeah, very important point. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive from June 7th to June 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide.
1: That's right. So just visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Hey, friends. As every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once, and it's really tough for even the most watchful moms and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing.
0: Yeah, Duracell understands this, and that's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power a bunch of important things around people's homes, including things young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them.
1: Even Duracell's packaging is child secure and designed to avoid accidental opening because they believe their products should provide more than just power. They should also provide peace of mind. You can learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025 and 2016 sizes. All right. Uh, Just this year, there was uh, a study. There's some criminologists at Simon Fraser U uh, outside of Vancouver. And there have been a bunch of studies like this over the years where they – we've talked, you know, in our body farm episode where criminologists and forensics experts try to see what happens to bodies under various conditions, uh, including being sunk underwater. Uh, So they took a pig carcass in this case, not a human cadaver. And they sunk it uh, kind of near where, uh, in the Salish Sea, where these feet had been appearing. And um, this, these pigs' carcasses were, um, they were bones in a matter of days. It was really, really fast.
0: Yeah, they were really surprised. Like,
1: surprisingly fast.
0: Because, you know, conventional wisdom is that this took weeks, months, maybe even.
1: Sure. And o- then, other studies had shown that.
0: Right. And these things, these pigs were, like, just bones in a few days. Um They think it's possible that the Salish Sea is um, an anomaly because this was in almost 1,000 feet of water. Yeah. But it's really highly oxygenated, so there's a lot of um, life down there. um, So a lot more things to eat a body. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you took it to another body of water in 1,000 feet, there, there might not be as much oxygen, so it might take longer. But for the Salish Sea, it's possible for something to be reduced to bones in a few days.
1: Yeah, here was my one problem with the way they did this study. Maybe I overthought it, but they trapped it under fencing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, which presumably means that, that it was just, you know, kind of in one place the whole time. Uh, that's true. I would have, like, if you're going to simulate a human body, I would have uh, maybe shackled a leg and, and put a long leader, like right. 100, so it could move around and see what a body would do. Right. Yeah.
0: See the sights. <laughs> right. anyway. Yeah, because a, a body can move on the bottom. A little, because uh, yeah, there's currents it, it under there, so. you know? That so can, that's just, you know, minor gripe. Yeah. But yeah, have you seen, did you see the video of it, the time elapsed video? Oh, no. It's really something. Nah. It's gross. Don't need it. So um, there was another study that I found that really kind of um, ties all this together. It was from 1992, and it was carried out by the coroner of uh, Kings County, which is where Seattle is. Yes. And... um he or she, I think it was a he, um, looked at bodies that had been pulled from the water and he took the amount of time they'd been in the water submerged and then uh, the amount of body parts that were left or exactly what body parts were left. Right. And basically went back and reverse engineered the process by which a body comes apart when it's submerged underwater. Yeah.
1: That's valuable information. It really is. You know.
0: And so what they, what they came up with was that the, the skin, the thinnest areas of skin typically cover like joints, so like your wrists and ankles. Yeah. Those get eaten away first which exposes that soft tissue beneath that holds your hand to your arm or your foot to your leg. And then that gets attacked by scavengers and all the other stuff that's eating it. And so between the things eating that soft tissue holding the bones together and the wave action or the currents at the bottom of the, the body of water the hands and then the feet work loose. They disarticulate. Yeah. So they naturally will fall off the body as the body's decomposing, submerged underwater, and they they are among the first parts to go.
1: That's right. And if you're just a foot and you're not wearing a shoe, um, then chances are that foot will get consumed and you will never see it again. Although one of these feet was a barefoot, correct? Yes. Which seems to be a little bit of an outlier.
0: A little bit.
1: Um, But if you've got a shoe on that thing... Uh, that's tied up nice and tight and you're uh, disarticulated at the ankle, that foot is still inside that shoe, going to make it really hard for a a scavenger to get in there. And it's uh, very possible that that foot will not decompose or at least decompose very slowly.
0: Right. And not only that, will it be protected? Once it disarticulates, if it's wearing a certain kind of shoe, specifically an athletic shoe that's made in the last like uh fifteen, twenty years. Yeah. Uh it's gonna have air injected into the sole. Yeah. And in the case of like remember Nike Air Maxes, they yeah. had actual air pockets like in the in between the sole and the bottom of the shoe. Yeah. And that actually creates a, a buoyant effect that will lift a shoe, including one that has a foot still inside, to the surface.
1: Yeah. So they started looking at all these cases they said, "Well, almost all of these are athletic shoes, mm-hmm. so that makes sense. And it's going to bob upside down because of that rubbery sole. Right. So it's going to be protected even more from birds and things. Right. So what we have here is a case of people that just happen to die, and their feet happen to come away from their bodies and be well protected by these awesome running shoes. Yes. And eventually made their ways to shore. Yep. Um But." little bit weird that they would happen in this area in such a span of time I would still say, right?
0: That's a that's to me the um and and we should say that's what you just said that's the cops position. Yeah. And it has been basically since the outset since the first foot was found.
1: Basically nothing to see here.
0: And there's not a lot there to um to undermine it yeah. or attack it. Like it's a pretty sound position. Yeah. But the there is still a mystery to it to me in that why British Columbia like, it th- it doesn't make sense. And there's a couple of explanations. One is that the Salish Sea is something like a lagoon to yeah. where f- water flows in from the Pacific Ocean from the south northward mm-hmm. into the Salish Sea. And once stuff goes in there, it basically recirculates. It doesn't come back out very often.
1: Well, that when you see the sign that says Salish Sea, it says feet flow in, they don't flow out. Exactly,
0: yeah. right? So once you see that sign, you're like, well, there's the explanation, yeah. right? Um, the idea is that The sailor Sea would experience a higher incidence of flotsam of all types, including feet, which is one explanation. Yeah. It it could be right. Well,
1: I'm sure that has something to do with it. Sure. Uh, The other explanation is um, one of my favorite things in the world, which is a version (laughs) uh, uh, of—well, there's a couple of names for it. Um, There was a guy named Arnold Zwicky uh, in 2006, a linguistics professor at Stanford who coined a term— frequency illusion. Uh, And that's uh, one of the cognitive biases um, where basically if you are looking for something, you're going to find it. Mm -hmm. All these people saw in the news uh, feet washing up on the shore. So like you said, they all started looking Mm
0: -hmm. for feet. And every time a foot was found, it just supported the idea that, yes, there's something really weird going on here, which only increased the awareness and the focus on this, which means that people started seeing more and more feet. That's
1: right. So frequency illusion specifically is a mix of selective attention and confirmation bias. So in this case, selective attention, uh, unconsciously keeping an eye out for that new thing that you were just told about, which is the feet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the confirmation bias in this case is the reassurance that it's just proof, more and more proof of its uh, omnipresence, more feet.
0: Right. You could see that happening here, for
1: sure. Pretty interesting.
0: It's called the Meinhof phenomenon, too.
1: Yeah, I didn't know where that came from. There was a dude, until I looked it up, uh-huh. uh, 1994, it was just a commenter on, a, on the Pioneer Press mm-hmm. of St. Paul Discussion Board, and he had heard about the Meinhof terrorist group a couple of times in one day. Right, and for, for just, the first time. Yeah, and just said, you know, Potter-Meinhof uh, phenomenon. Right. And it became a meme. Yeah. I thought it was more... I don't know, I thought it was cooler than that. No. I thought there was some cool explanation. No. That wasn't just some dude online.
0: It definitely sounds cooler than it is.
1: It sounds way cooler than it is. But it's a common thing. and it, People... uh you talk about 11-11 on the clock is a big one for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, I see eleven, eleven all the time on the clock. Right. It's because you're looking for it.
0: Sure. Frequency illusion. Yeah. It's not actually happening more than it ever was. You, no. You're just paying more attention to it now. And this is a really, really unnerving suggestion, man, because it, it, it says that feet washing up on the shore is way more common than any yeah. of us realize And that <laughs> if you went over and picked up a, an athletic shoe on a beach somewhere, there's a good chance that there's going to be a foot inside. We just aren't aware of this as, as human beings in, in outside of Vancouver, right? That's right. So that makes Vancouver the capital of the disembodied, the disembodied feet capital of the world. I don't know that that necessarily holds up, though. I don't think it's I been think- explained.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, I bet you I it's frequency illusion.
0: I, I disagree. I think it's something else. I think it, it think? probably has to do with the hydrology or something about Vancouver or British Columbia. Yeah. There's this um, database called Name Us, uh-huh. and it's like a catalog of unidentified remains. Yeah. And I did a search for disarticulated foot, and out of like 40,000 unidentified remains in the U.S. 30,000 were from Vancouver? The only three were disarticulated feet. Uh, And one was found in the Washington state area. So you could technically kind of include it in that weird Vancouver clump. One was in Maryland and one was in Dallas. That was it. Wow. So it does really seem like Vancouver has a higher than usual incidence of disarticulated feet showing up (laughs) in its area. Wowie. Which is weird. Are you on the case? No. I'm just a fan. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. So you got anything else?
1: No. I just realized, though I've been, like, rotating my feet around and, like, just feeling <laughs> Making weird. Making sure they're
0: there? Sort of. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about this, um, you can... Actually, there are three really good articles that I read in addition to some other ones, but three stood out. One was by Winston Ross of the Daily Beast. One was on Pacific Standard. I didn't see an author. And then Christopher, Christopher Solomon's Outside article. Those are all pretty standout Uh, and since I said standout it's time for listener mail
1: Uh, I'm gonna call this internet roundup I don't know if people watch but we have a internet show called internet roundup
0: several hundred people watch
1: yeah and it's like uh, the silliest thing we do Mm -hmm. we sit down in the studio on video and we just talk about a couple of things on the internet that we think are neat right so that is the setup Uh, hey guys I was recently on a delta flight and they show these on delta Uh, yeah and this is not an ad for delta no. Uh, I was recently on a Delta flight from Atlanta to Austin. Uh, keeping an eye out for your hat, Chuck. Uh, I got very excited when I remembered I could watch your Internet Roundup uh, show on the plane to pass the time. As we began our descent into Austin, sudden thunderstorms developed. It was quite bumpy, to say the least. If you have never been on a plane that unsuccessfully tried to land in a thunderstorm, I don't recommend it. Oh, uh, I just had listened to your How to Survive a Plane Crash episode from 2008. <laughs> just that week before, and I remember thinking how grateful I was that I was in the back of the plane, because Chuck said I had a better chance of surviving that way. Uh, It's not much of a chance, but sure. (laughs) Uh, I just thought you would like to know that despite the horrible weather going on, I never lost connection with your show. Uh, Watching Internet Roundup and able to listen and watch you guys really helped me keep calm until our pilot finally gave up trying to land and diverted the plane to Houston. That's even scarier. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to try anymore.
0: Well, let's go to Houston. Close enough.
1: Yeah. Uh, In the end, everyone made it to Austin safely, though. Uh, So thanks for everything you guys do. And that is from Lauren Sprouse.
0: Thanks a lot, Lauren. Um, Have you ever watched videos of planes that come in for a landing, but it's too windy, so they have to, like, immediately take back off? No, that's never happened. Like they touch down and take off? If you watch those waiting to get onto a plane, it's a really good way to just poke at your brain. Wow. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, you can hit us up on Twitter at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Instagram at SYSK Podcast too. You can join us on Facebook.com slash StuffYouShouldKnow. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of
1: iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals,